This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. Man, it's Friday. It's Friday. It feels like feels like I really need Friday. Hopefully, you didn't need Friday's bad. Hopefully, you're just going to enjoy Friday. You got playoffs. The NFL draft is a, a week away. Well, for the Broncos. For the Broncos, it is. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> the Broncos will pick 67th and 68th as it stands. Uh, yeah. And uh, even, the even a week from tonight, they'll be waiting a while to make their pick. Yeah, they won't have a second rounder either. Right, it'll be it'll be a bit. So a week from today, the Broncos presumably will pick because I don't envision a situation where they move into the first round unless they do something really foolish. Because there's really <laughs> no reason. You mean trade Justin Simmons or Patrick Sertan? Uh, about the only two players that's, who might be able to get you first. Yeah, I think that might be it. it. That's it. Those that's are the only two the guys list. on the roster that'd get you a first round pick. That's it. They, they tried with their receivers. It's not happening. So uh, we'll find out as it, as it goes. But yesterday on a Zoom call, the general manager, George Payton, of which his duties and <laughs> role is now somewhat suspect under Sean Payton, who last time we had heard from Sean Payton talk about George Payton, prior to him saying all sorts of pleasantries yesterday, mentioned that his job was to pick up the phone and tell people they're not trading Cortland Sutton or Jerry Judy, which doesn't sound like traditional. Unless you're offering a first round. Yeah, pick. right. General manager. And maybe a second. Duties, you know, this is Sean Payton's show. And, and and Danny Bailey was kind enough to carve out some of the, the sound from that call. Uh, to be completely honest, I only really worried about the parts from Sean Payton because it's very clear that George Payton gets his marching orders from Sean Payton. That doesn't come from my assertion. That comes from Greg Penner. The de facto, the, the Broncos have an ownership group, but the guy that calls the shots is Greg Penner. Day to day. And yeah. he said specifically, Sean Payton runs the football organization so there you go but give you a couple clips of these because obviously we know they have five draft selections 67 68 is where they are expected to start now george payton likes having more draft picks uh teams would always like to have higher draft picks so uh, the first question that payton was asked specifically was what is your philosophy when it comes to either trading up or trading back Number one, it's a good question. I, I, from from a standpoint of us working it out, that, that that'll be smooth and easy. We, we talk when we're watching these players, you know, all the time. You know, philosophically, you're looking at, all right, you know, who would be a target that uh, if they fell, um, you might move one one direction, and then what would be the three or four scenarios where, if presented with with that scenario. Um, would you would you gain equity and move back? And I, I think, um, look, 95% of the discussion in the sports world relative to the draft is on the first round, uh, understandably so. Um, and yet, man, there, there's so many other things that take place later that, that are important. So uh, George alluded to it already. You know, if, if you're in the middle of the first round selecting, you're, you're – You've got to you've got to love uh, 15 players if you're picking 15. You, you've got to, and if you don't, then you move in one direction. Or if you're if you're targeting someone, you move up. But when you're picking where we are, and the unique thing, which I think we both really like, is that we have back-to-back picks there. Um, you, you've got to be able to be a little bit. I don't want to say reactionary, but the scenarios that fall to you with 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 every round and then every pick, 
um, they the spray is a little wider, if that makes sense. And, and I get what he's saying. We I think with, it does make sense. Yeah, with the back-to-back picks, uh, that actually is a nice situation because it gives you more opportunity to play with things uh, and, and gives them time to work on it. Also gives them time in between their own picks to be, as he said, reactionary. And I don't think that's meant as a bad thing. If someone calls you with an offer, you pick it up and you are reacting to it. That's what you should be doing. You could also call it due diligence, whatever you want to call it. But I, I thought it was interesting insofar as he, you know, he said, all right, that would be a target if they fail. You might move one direction. Then what would be the other three or four scenarios where you would gain equity and move back? Uh, that strikes me. And, and, you know, you don't want to read too much into it. But I think when you've seen what, what George Payton has done as well, this is uh, a man of Sean Payton that if he's going to find a guy that he likes, he'll, he'll move up, whether it's a little bit or maybe even a lot. But I don't think it's going to be a lot. He'll move up a little. He'll he'll. He'll pop up a few they, spots. They don't have the material. He's, to move he's up more a lot. than happy, however, to continue to move back if they feel that in their process that you know they they believe player X will be there in that number of picks, or they believe the difference between player X and player Y isn't that much of a difference, and they'd rather pick up another pick. And I think that's probably, it, especially in this draft, uh, the right move. I mean, I think that makes an awful lot of sense. There was nothing uh, in there that sounded as if it was stonewalling. It sounded. Uh, open. It sounded pretty conscious, and it sounded, quite frankly, very sensible. I like the ninety-five percent of the attention is paid to the first round because even some of the draft picks. It's the only thing that's barely predictable, right? E- even you, you can tell they lose interest after the first round. I know I do. And I, well, it doesn't matter if the Broncos have first round, you picks, know, the second viewers round do or not. Thursday on the first round is when they get the viewers. That's when they get the ratings. That's yeah. when they get the. That's, that's when they pull in the most numbers. Day. Right. Right. That's that's the day. You know, it's on multiple channels. It's yeah. on NFL Network. It's on ESPN. They do everything they can do to, to broadcast the draft, and then after that, no, it's not quite the same. But now, with only five picks, and you know that the first ones are in the third, obviously, trying to predict how a draft board will lay out. Some of the examples of trying to select a Patrick Sertan or whatever. You can sort of model out, what if this happens, this happens, this happens. By the time you get to the 60s, forget it. Everything's out the window. You have no idea. So he was asked specifically of, of what do you do when you're in an unpredictable situation and only have five picks? When you have less picks, you're still, if this makes sense, the whole preparation leading up to this draft was grading from the very top of the board through the first round, through the second, as if you had every pick, even more picks. And, and so you're, you're assigning values to this, these players that not only will serve you well in the draft, but there'll be recall and free agency four and five years from now. Um, each, each draft is a little different. And, and, I, and I say that meaning where the clumps of players are. Um, I've been involved in drafts where there were, we felt like 20 first round talents and then other drafts where we, we felt maybe there'd be 28. Uh, so as, as you be, the, the challenge always is to um, not remember the prior drafts, but what's your barometer for uh, the, the value of each player that you're, you're trying to grade. And then the strategy relative to how you can, how you can draft the the most amount of players that meet your threshold that you really like. Um, and so 
there's so many different variables that, that can come into play with that question. It's a good question. Um, I, I couldn't even tell you which one of those, which of those drafts that we had five, they run together a little bit for me. Um, I can recall certain drafts more than others, but, uh, but I think that they're all specific to where you're selecting. Um, and then sp specific to where those clump of grades are falling. Um, that's, that's what I think. First, you want to wish whoever, you know, had, had the, uh, the issue on the Zoom call found that throat lozenge they needed because that, that sounded like you'd want to take care of that. But for the rest of the the uh, the quote there, I think it was it was kind of interesting. You talked about like the clumps of players. And the other thing you talked about that you know you, you and I know how this works, Sandy, but uh, it's it's rarely explained so clearly. And I, I give Sean Payton a lot of credit for that. The idea that you go through the whole draft as if you were if you had every one of those picks. Yeah. Because oh, what sure you're you do. doing is now you've created a comparable value chart for right. yourself that will help you when you're talking about trades, when you're talking about, and even as he pointed out, free agency four or five years from now that you can compare and say, hey, this is where we had this person compared to the other. Let's see how much they've grown. And that that's what every team does. But it was a nice job really kind of explaining that. But I thought it was interesting when he talked about the clumps of players. And he mentioned the first round, but the smart teams look at that and say, okay, there's a, a good chunk of, let's just hypothetically say in this draft, there are supposed to be a pretty good tight end draft, right? Now, there's maybe not eight star tight ends in the draft, but you're looking at, okay, there's two or three that might turn into close to immediate starters. And then hovering around, say, the third round, there's another guy, you know, four or five guys that look like they'll be quality NFL players. They should make our team in the third. And then maybe even in the fourth round, there's another three or four that we like. So identifying where those clumps are of, of talent, of positions that you need, is a big part of this equation. And I think it was explained really well. And I think that's one of the other reasons that when you hear Peyton explain it, you will, of course, hear every coach, and quite frankly, in this press conference, both Sean Payton and George Payton actually said the standard, we're just going to draft the best player. Um, that's not true. That's never true. Uh, you never do that. In fact, if you did that, that would be stupid because if you were always drafting the best player, you'd run the chance of drafting a player you couldn't use at all. You know, For example, if the Broncos were to use the you know, 66th pick on a free safety <laughs> it's not going to play behind Justin Simmons. Why would you do that? Are you going to, you know, are you going to use, are you going to, in a team with this position, would you use that 66th pick on a quarterback? No. What if that's the best player available? You still wouldn't do it. They pick the best available player yeah. at a position uh, I, of need. I agree with that's that. That's the way they but do it. Just and give, identifying those clumps matters. Give, give some kind of perspective on this. In the first three rounds, the Broncos have picks at 67 and 68. That's it. The Lions pick in the first three rounds this year at 6, 18, 48, 55, 81. They got five of the first 81 picks in this draft. All within the first three rounds. 2024, next year, the Lions have a first rounder, a second rounder, and two thirds. This year, Seattle has picks at five. How'd they get that one? Uh, slipped my mind. Ouch. Uh, they pick at five. They pick at 20. Pick at 37.52. 
So they have four of the top 52 picks. Houston had four of the top four, 44, four of the top 44 last year. And this year they pick at 212 and 33. Think they're building something down in Houston? Well, we'll see. Well, the, the architects of it have to actually pick the right people, but yeah, uh, that, that's true. But your chances of hitting on people at that point in the draft, just the numbers game suggests you got a lot of cracks at it. You're going to come up with one or two studs right. out of that group anyway, and maybe two or three useful players who can start for you either right away or at some point. Uh, for me, I don't know, at the running back position, could that be one of the picks at 67 or 68? Sure. Sure. I think it could uh, be. Edge rush. Oh, certainly. I think that's where they'd could be. be one of the two I, picks. I think that's where they're looking, yeah. where they're hoping. Yeah. So that, that, Defensive that, line that and reinforces the point you're making. Yeah. That, it, you know, I don't know if uh, uh, the running back from Texas A&M, let's say they pick him at 67, would he be the best player? Oh, probably not. Uh, maybe the guy they'd pick at 68, let's say it would be Zach Harrison, somebody projected earlier this week. Edge rusher, Ohio State. I've heard of Zach Harrison. I've watched him play. Sure. Know who he is. I don't know. He might be a better player than the running back from A&M. But they have two consecutive picks, so it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You, you, you can pick the player. You, you can basically pick the player you want and then take a couple minutes to dangle that in a, in a trade if you really wanted to. The, 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 the final bit from this was interesting because you have talked about this. The fact that, you know, we, we, we joked about it a little bit, oh, the phase one of the OTAs of off-season activities, uh, you know, organized team activities, uh, they went by very quickly because uh, there wasn't much going on, right? And, and you know, people were breathlessly trying to figure out, all right, first phase of OTAs. Yeah, well, nothing was going to happen. And that's because they were focusing on simply running and lifting and asked specifically about the idea that there will be position meetings with the coaches during phase one. Uh, this was his answer. There, there's no meetings. Uh, when I say that, not honestly, there's no football meetings right now. Um, uh, phase two begins, you know, in three more weeks. We'll begin to introduce uh, the offense, defense, and the kicking game. And, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll do the phase two activities that we can do. Um, I, I felt like I learned this from Bill. This month is lifting and running. So if, if there's a, a question, it's, you know, how's the weights going? You know, we see these guys running in the morning when we're coming in here for draft meetings. Um, we're, we're not in a meeting room setting. Um, I don't want the players to feel like they're pulling into the parking lot coming to football practice in April. That's just not happening. Um, so it's great to see these guys around. Um, hopefully we can keep the golf carts upright. But, uh, yeah, no meetings, just uh, weight room and, and running. <laughs> and the bill to whom he refers is, of course, Bill Parcells, bill Parcells right. who always operated this way. It's the what I mentioned last week, and we, we – chuckled over it you know first time you have the team together in phase one your new coach you get up in front of everybody and you say this is a football 
and you toss it off to the side and you say, you will not see <laughs> this football <laughs> or any football for that matter for the next month. You're going to lift and you're going to run. You're, you aren't you're, doing footballs. You're setting a standard for what the performance for the team is going to be. And, and he said it right there. I mean, I don't want the players to feel like they're pulling to the parking lot, coming to football practice in April. That's the exact quote that they're not coming to football practice. This is about conditioning. They are not practicing football. They are not. They are going to be conditioning. And that makes sense to me, too, on so many levels. Absolutely. And it obviously worked for, for, for Parcells. And, you know, the uh, aside to Russell Wilson's golfing excursion into the sand trap, which was, it turns out, not actually Wilson, but a member of his party. Yeah. Uh, obviously, a little poking fun at that. But again, a little, a little bit. I noticed, though, you can throw that in, and it's a funny little joke for everybody. At the same time, it sends a small message to uh, Russ again. Remember who's in charge now, and it's not you. And I don't think that was accidental. Nothing with Sean Payton strikes me as uh, accidental, idle chatter. Doesn't Hearing seem himself like talk. Uh, no, he has a point to make. He has something to say. And... I actually, you know, we were making fun. I was yesterday. I won't pull you into it. Making a little fun about how revealing this kind of thing is. Actually, the two most revealing coaches around here I ever saw leading up to the draft who actually talked about what they were going to do and more or less went out and did it. And this will surprise you. The the one was Josh McDaniels Mm -hmm. back in 2009. And... The other may very well be Sean Payton in 2023. We didn't we didn't uh, go through all of it for you, but he did specifically mention one position group that he had learned from Bill Parcells and said you don't have to draft necessarily draft it or get it in free agency, but you have to continue to address address and build an offensive line. He did specifically call that position group out. So yes. uh, you may very well find. You mean he noticed how bad the offensive line? Well, has been but his art. But and you can look back at the New Orleans teams that he had as well. Uh, this is a guy like Parcells. They, he builds from the lines, exactly and that's right. exactly what the Broncos exactly need right. to be doing and have needed to be doing for quite some time. And what did Mike Shanahan build in 1995 through free agency and the few draft picks they happen to have in 1995? One of whom, of course, obviously turned out to be Terrell Davis, Hall of Famer. Work. Yeah, uh, but he built. From the inside out, he built the lines first. Well, that's still the way football's played, so it makes an awful lot of sense. The Denver Nuggets, of course, have game three tonight in Minnesota. They have an opportunity to take a stranglehold on the series, and we'll have an opportunity to talk with uh, Coach George Carl about it. We'll do that next on My Life Sports. Sandy Clough and Sean Trotar, weekdays at 2 on Mile High Sports. Welcome back. We'll be looking to uh, get George Carl joining us in just a, a little bit to talk about the Nuggets game three against the Timberwolves and where things stand. Uh, 
the Nuggets did what they needed to do in game two. We've talked about it, but you know, Doug Moe, George Carl, other coaches have said that winning game two after you've won game one as the favorite can be really tricky. It can be tricky. And yeah. the, the Nuggets had their moment. You know, Minnesota did come back and take a lead, but then uh, the Nuggets sort of woke up and finished the job. In, in this case, when you look at this series going forward, and let's just take tonight's game because really, you know, you don't want to look too far ahead. We can. We, we're not playing. But the... The middle third of the game, the Nuggets stunk. The they were bad. And I, I do tonight want to see that team play much better going into and coming out of halftime because we have seen the Nuggets for the most part. And I, I don't I don't have any numbers in front of me. This is just based on a on a on a feel watching the games this year. They are more likely to come out of halftime flat than they are hot. And, and that seems to be their MO. For a lot of this season. And to my mind, that's about the only way you let the Timberwolves win this game. If if the, the Nuggets do what they're supposed to do for four quarters, they don't have to play the best game of, of the year. If they play a standard Denver Nuggets game in all four quarters, they will win, and they may win going away. I, I think, it, it, you know, George will join us here at some point, but uh, we'll posit right here the idea that for about a third of the game the other night, middle third of the game, roughly, mm-hmm. the Nuggets played very badly, got outscored 51-27, to 27, middle third of the game. Went from 21 ahead to three behind. You can do that at home. On the road, even against a dysfunctional team like the Minnesota Timberwolves, you play 15 minutes like that, you're probably going to lose the game. Probably going to. You can't afford extended bad stretches on the road, especially in the playoffs, that you possibly, even in the playoffs, can afford at home. Your margin of error is is never that great. Witness the line for the game tonight. It's only, what, two, two and a half points, whatever it is? Mm-hmm. Two, points. two points. Just two. Okay. So, if during the middle third of the game or any third of the game, you're outscored by 24 points, you're going to lose. Probably. On the road. You're going to lose. Even even to the sorry, no-account Minnesota Timberwolves. Right? So, we have to see, and what we saw the other night was encouraging in the sense that Porter and Murray, rather than Jokic, were their best players in the fourth quarter. Porter for the first half of the fourth quarter, Murray for the second half of the fourth quarter. Porter certainly was not fatigued. Uh, As much as he played in the fourth quarter, he only played 29 minutes for the game. So he was fresh, and he was raring to go. And he looked like And even Nikola Jokic after the game, and Nikola Jokic, who very rarely has praised Michael Porter Jr. in public, certainly has Jamal Murray, but not Michael Porter so much, just raved about Michael Porter. He said he was a (laughs) one-man momentum shifter. I mean, he took us from two behind to six ahead by himself. 8-0 run. Yeah, he literally did. He, yes. He, he changed the game by himself by scoring the first eight points, one on a four-point play early in the fourth quarter. Now, Minnesota did come back and take a one-point lead later on in the quarter, but then Murray took over. And between Porter and Murray, and yes, Jokic, when he came back in with however many, eight minutes to go in a game whenever he comes back in. He was fine. And 
Well, the Timberwolves had was Edwards, and the Nuggets had Porter going, they had Murray going, and then Jokic comes back, and Towns and Gilbert are their usual useless selves uh, coming down the stretch. So, Tell us how you really feel. <laughs> this, I, I, I think, is a chance tonight for the Nuggets to find, uh, and I, I think they have this guy in Bruce Brown. Bruce Brown played 30 minutes the other night, played mm-hmm. well. I, I hope Jeff Green doesn't play 26 minutes, uh, unless it's a blowout. Certainly uh, not I more than 10 in a eight, row. 20, it, it, and, and he can't play 13 minutes straight. Actually, it's a little more than that. I would hope tonight you would be able to increase Brown's minutes and maybe even Porter's minutes and I, I just, the one thing I don't know how to gauge is how confident Michael Malone is in Michael Porter Jr. Right. No, that's tough to tell. It really it's, is. It's hard to tell sometimes, isn't it? It is. And it, it's it's been frustrating at times for Michael Porter Jr. to the point where even you, Sandy, have kind of come down on his side uh, trying to figure out what is Porter well, Jr. Well, when need he's to do. been puzzled, now... To his credit, he said nothing the other night. They won the ball game, and he had 13 points in the fourth quarter, and he was duly celebrated for that, no complaints. Mm-hmm. But earlier this year against Brooklyn, when they lost a home game they never should have lost, and the coach, by his own admission, forgot about Aaron Gordon, Michael Porter also sat. And Malone's explanation was, well, we played a lousy defensive third quarter, but, but also in it, reality, Porter seemed to be the scapegoat for that, and he, and he, he wasn't alone in not forgetting about uh, Aaron Gordon at that one point. Well, yeah, and then he said he forgot about Aaron Gordon. To point that out, Again, but. guess who was in there for even more than thirteen straight minutes on that occasion? Jeff Green. Again, so I I would like to see. I understand your bench shortens in the playoffs, but boy, it's unusual in the first round when you're clearly the superior team and you won one game by 29, you led the second by 21 and one by nine, mm-hmm. that you're using seven guys and that's it. Yeah. I'd, you're I'd, really only playing seven guys. I'd like to see. I, I don't now later on in the playoffs. Christian Brown. Uh, okay. But the only guys who played the other night off the bench were Bruce Brown and Jeff Green. Mm-hmm. Nobody else played including Christian Brown, who played seven minutes and was perfectly good during those seven minutes. I think he got something like four in the first half and three in the second half. They couldn't wait to get him out. Malone couldn't wait to get him out of the game. And I'm thinking, Anthony Edwards is going crazy, and he's 6'4", 220. Christian Brown is 6'6", 220. Maybe 6'6 and a half, 220. Throw him on it for a couple minutes and see if he can cool him off. Throw him out there, and then you can yank him if he's burning... Christian Brown, the same way he's burning Contavious Caldwell Pope, stubbornly, Michael Malone kept trying to put on Anthony Edwards, not that you could tell, because Edwards was shooting over or driving by just about everybody who was anywhere in the vicinity the other night. The, the Nuggets should win this game, and they should win this game with, I'm not going to say ease. It's not going to be easy. But it's it's very much it's for a playoff game. It's doable. It should be an expectation. It shouldn't be a situation where 
uh, that they look at it and go, well, but you really have to play a tough game. And, and I understand that can be one of the trickiest things at time for for teams to to get up for these games and to understand how some of these these games work. But this team is just so much better than the team they're facing, the, the, the Nuggets are. And I, I do hope, I don't think Michael Malone has obviously caused any necessary problems. I think he's been a, a, done a good job as a coach, and I give him a ton of credit for very rarely this far into your coaching career. Do you see a coach that is continuing to improve? He's, he's not just who he is. He is improving. I think there has been some improvement from Michael Malone. But you said this prior to the prior to the playoffs, quite a bit prior to the playoffs, as a matter of fact. And, I, and I, I'm curious, I guess I ask you, I want to ask you how you feel about it. You said that the biggest impediment for the Nuggets winning the championship, presuming they're healthy, is their head coach. Well, not per se so much, but his stubbornness is an impediment. And stubbornness sometimes can create stupidity. And listen, anyone can forget about a player. It it, it happens. Sure. It I happens. don't think that part it, was it that happens. big a deal. I and, really did. Uh, you, you know, I remember uh, when uh, the Knicks were on their way to their first championship and they're playing the first game of the playoffs. So they all the hype going into the playoffs because they had won 18 straight early that season. They started 23-1, and one, uh, kind of flattened out, but they're going into the playoffs as the favorite to win the first championship in the history of the franchise. Mm-hmm. And they're playing a team they had slaughtered the year before, four straight in the playoffs, the Baltimore Bullets, led by Earl Monroe, Wes Unseld, who was the rookie of the year the year before, and the MVP. Fairly rare accomplishment, right? Uh, and, of course, Gus Johnson, who was uh, uh, one of the uh, uh, Skywalkers before. Uh, uh, now, in today's game, you have a bunch of them. Uh, they were relatively rare back then. And it's the first game. And Monroe is hitting everything in sight, and they force the Knicks into overtime. And during the first overtime, Red Holtzman looks down his bench and calls for reserve guard Mike Reardon. No answer. Calls for him a second time. This is Red Holtzman, one of the great coaches of all time. No answer. Third time. Calls again. And by this time, somebody, and remember, they didn't have 55 assistant coaches back then. They had a trainer <laughs> and maybe a couple of players mm-hmm. who might be watching the game. <laughs> they said, Red, Mike's in the game. And I can't remember what Holtzman's reply was to that, but the players, once he turned back around, gave the choke sign mm-hmm. <laughs> the coach had choked so he forgot that the, the guy he was calling for was already in the game Yikes. so i i get it it Yikes. it happens but the stubbornness it, there's an intentionality about that and this commitment to jeff green uh i mean you like DeAndre Jordan, too, but you don't play him. What makes Jeff Green indispensable coming off the bench when he, the other night he's the third guy off the bench? Bruce Brown is the sixth man. Mm-hmm. Christian Brown comes in shortly thereafter, and then Jeff Green comes in. Yes. And yet 
He plays almost as much as Brown, almost as much as Porter, one of the starters, and only seven minutes fewer than Aaron Gordon. Now, I understand Aaron Gordon had foul trouble. Sure. So, okay. That, that, you can explain that one. But it, it just didn't make any sense that come the second half when they started standing around, his solution was to put in for more than 13 straight minutes Jeff Green, 36-year-old Jeff Green, who had zero rebounds in the game, who played no defense in the game. The only time that uh, Towns did anything was when Jeff Green was on the court. I, I, I just don't get it. Now, you get away with that against the Minnesota Timberwolves. But if you're playing the Phoenix Suns, that's a loser. That costs oh, you yes, a game. Yes, oh, unquestionably. I feel and absolutely that's more and more, I think, fans are picking up not on the idea that he isn't competent. He is. Not that he doesn't get along with the players much better than he once did. He, he does, and that represents some growth as a coach. But there is a stubborn streak in Michael Malone that is the very antithesis of Jared Bednar, who will change any combination at any time and is almost always right. And uh, I'm texting regularly with a few people last night who are pointing out the fact who the hell gave Jared Bednar, this is sarcastic, permission to actually alter his lineup combinations. <laughs> I get the point. What, I, I mean, what is he doing? Doesn't he know that you stick stubbornly come hell or high water to any kind of rotation pattern you think is best? And nobody can tell you otherwise. He's got all these assistants. Either they don't know enough to tell him or they're too scared to tell him or they do tell him and he ignores them. We'll find out what happens this evening, obviously. You know, what will change? Will anything change? Will the Nuggets even have to change anything? Will Anthony Towns and Carl Anthony Towns and Rudy Gobert come with a better game? We know Edwards will, but we'll find out tonight. And by the way, if you want to uh, join us, make sure you catch us over at uh, Haters Company, Tap 14, down on Blake Street for our watch party with the Denver Stiffs. So Sandy and I will be there. It starts at game starts 730. You're supposed to be close to it. And we'll find out. Uh, we'll start getting there around 7. So. Feel free to join us. We'll be back uh, with more as we break down Game 3 in the Nuggets next on My Life Sports. Sandy Clough and Sean Trotar, presented by Burnham Law. Hire the winner at BurnhamLaw.com. Here's Sean and Sandy. Want to remind you, by the way, before we get into the Nuggets, of course, you are injured. You need a winner. Meet our friends at Burnham Law. BurnhamLaw.com. Phone number is 720-845-7001. Hire the winner. So are their personal injury attorneys. Have years of experience fighting for their clients. Locations all over Colorado, from Fort Collins, 
uh, up in Cheyenne to Westminster, Cherry Creek, Boulder, the DTC, and all the way south to the Springs. When you're injured, uh, they're working to get you the maximum recovery by either settlement or by trial. So don't hire one of the lawyers off the billboards. Hire the proven winner. They come and fight for you. That's Burnham Law, 720-845-7001. Sandy, for the Denver Nuggets tonight... When you look at the the keys to the game, it, it's funny. It's it, it's it's almost in many ways a hard way to break this game down because the Nuggets are just better, and if they play their game, they'll win. They're the better team. At the same time, you'd be fools to just assume you're going to win an, an NBA playoff game, right? So, looking into this particular contest, let's just say the opening quarter. What do you need to see from the Nuggets to feel comfortable that they are on track and understand how to tackle a road playoff game? Oh, I think they know how to attack a road playoff game against this team. Uh, I I don't know uh, as far as exactly how they have to play uh, early on. Uh, I, I think just reacting to what, they may be getting from Minnesota. I think the first thing you have to do is to keep Edwards yeah. away from the ball to the greatest degree possible because just he's the only the one who can hurt you. Just, he's the only one who can hurt you. And, uh, again, Malone on even these matters, yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe. Uh, but, you know, maybe try someone other than uh, Caldwell Pope on him well, it can't be uh, Murray. early in the, in the game. Might be Gordon. Might be Gordon. Put your best defensive player on him. He's he's a hell of a player, and he he may give Gordon problems. But, you know, Gordon was in foul trouble the last time. But he's guarding the bigger men. But he was guarding bigger guys and got in foul trouble. Put him out. You, you put a heck. You put him on Damian Lillard for goodness sake I'm, in the playoffs two years ago. Why? Why couldn't you put him on Edwards? So I, I, I just think f- finding some way to keep Edwards from going off early would be important because I don't think Conley can hurt you, and I don't, I don't think Gobert think can either. Gobert can, and I don't think Carl Anthony Towns can hurt. Them. Uh, I'm not entirely. Sold I don't that. believe it, but I, I just don't. He can't hurt them but he I is not he going to beat them now if he plays well and edwards plays something like he did the other night sure towns can be a second banana now i think that's the interesting part is towns he's is not going to beat you he is the second banana. the way, that's the way edwards could right. have beaten you the other night yes he is not despite the fact not that the the fame top draft status and everything about he is not the top option for the, the Minnesota Timberwolves. He's just not, even uh, if he happens to believe that he is. The the other thing about what the Nuggets have done in this, and some of this is with the Nuggets defense, and some of it is allowing Minnesota enough of a opportunity here to basically play some, some kind of foolish basketball. Edwards averaging, in the two games, Edwards averaging 29 and a half, obviously. But Gobert is averaging 13 and a half. Then it's Conley with 11. Kyle Anderson and Carl Anthony Towns with 10 and a half per game. And for a team with two big guys, they're not using it. When you look well, at the way the Timberwolves played. Two guys played, are limited. But the, but the Timberwolves played this year. They were eighth in the league 
in points in the paint with 54.2 on average. In this first two games of this Nuggets series, Sandy, they're averaging 40. They are way under their average in the paint. It, it's an enormous difference. And so that part to me is really telling. And it is some of what the Nuggets are doing, but it's also, it's, it's sort of a way of like, the best way to resist is not to resist. If Minnesota wants to hang out at the three-point line, let them. Sure. It's not their strength. Sure. Let them sure. do it. Sure. Now, my guess is Minnesota will play more energetically tonight. They will want a slightly faster pace, although they certainly I don't, think don't they're want capable to run of a gun. Right. But, but you know, they, the game they played a week ago tonight against Oklahoma City, now, it, that matchup worked for them because Oklahoma City has no size. And they were able to kind of ease Towns and Gobert into the game uh, to the point where they actually had some impact. But everybody played well that night for them. It, it came together. And I think there may be something like that in store for the Nuggets tonight. But I, I truly believe the only person that presents a matchup problem is Anthony Edwards. There's no one coming off the bench who you say, boy, this guy's instant offense or this guy could be uh, disruptive defensively. Uh, you know, they, they when they lost McDaniels and they lost Naz Reed, all that possible trouble went out the window. Naz Reed hurt the Nuggets this year. Mm -hmm. Naz Reed is a third-string center in Minnesota behind Gobert and Towns. He's a better player than either one of them. Certainly matches up better against the Nuggets than either one of them do. His absence is huge. uh, McDaniel's an excellent wing defender, but Naz Reed can hurt the Nuggets offensively and give Edwards some support. More so than Towns and or Gobert. That's what, for me, made this series very predictable. The fact that Naz Reed wasn't playing, and to a lesser extent, McDaniels. That's what did it for me. That's that's why the, the minute Reed broke his wrist, I, I I said this is the team you want to play. Is, is this is this the game? Uh, if, if it's tough to call sweep, is this the game the Timberwolves win? Just I am saying feeling. the Timberwolves win Game Three, the Nuggets win Game Four, and we're back here Monday talking about the series coming to a conclusion here in Game Five. I think the Nuggets actually get it done. I think Minnesota's t- easier to tip if the Nuggets come out and kind of smack them in the mouth proverbially with defense. Uh, they will find a way to, to get this team to fold, but we will find we out. We don't know how the Nuggets will react because they've never been ahead 2-0. In a playoff series. Not under Michael Malone. It, it, uh, not under Michael Malone, they haven't. Obviously, uh, under George Carl, they were, um, I think, maybe a couple of times in 09. But the, being up 2-0 is a relatively uh, unusual experience for this franchise and certainly for this team. Yes. They haven't had that. Remember, even in 19, when they beat San Antonio in the first round, they split the first two at home. 
they lost in seven in the second round. They split the first two at home. Yeah, it, it will be uh, an interesting. And of course, two zero leads aren't you know really regular across the board. Uh, even in this playoffs, there are a couple teams with leads. The Nuggets, one of them. We'll see if they can take it to three. Philadelphia has done so in theirs. We'll find out tonight. If you want to join us down at Haters and Company and Tap Fourteen on Blake Street. We'll be there with the Denver Stiffs for the watch party. Sandy and I will be there. Uh, I know Anilo Piro's coming as well. We'll have some other folks down there. Uh, come on and join it. Watch the fans. Uh, with the fans, watch with us. Let's enjoy watching the Nuggets game tonight. We will see. And we'll be back, of course, uh, on Monday with not only this playoff to update, but the Avalanche to update. And it will be NFL Draft Week. So put all that together next week. Looking forward to it. Uh, we'll hand it off now to our friends. Neil Apiro and Cody Rourke, who will take over an afternoon drive. Thanks to Danny Bailey in the booth for making everything work, getting all the sound from Sean Payton on short notice. Uh, bad, bad, bad host there. It wasn't really great on the timing. Kind of the story of my day today on a Friday. Hopefully you have a great weekend. Thanks to Andrew Detmer for making the video look good. He, he's about to shoot our little uh, post-game video that we put over on the Mile High Sports Twitter account. You can follow that as well. We'll be back on Monday. Have a safe and enjoyable weekend. For Sandy Clough, I'm Sean Drotar. Keep it right here on Mile High Sports. I will cry.